Teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Play the music. Jeff, are we doing a passing period this week, or is this a full episode? What What are we up for right now? Well, Manuel, uh, this is this is um, you know last episode uh, that we filmed. One of our vocabulary words was the tweens, and uh, th this episode is perhaps uh, a little bit of a tweener uh, itself. Um, but today is uh, an AOTA special, Manuel, special in honor of uh, the hashtag Teach Truth uh, movement that um, our our partners in, uh, in justice are organizing over at the Zen Education Project, along with a whole bunch of other um, organizations uh, across the, the education and, and social justice sector, I guess you would say. Um, but folks are organizing across the country today um, in these Teach Truth rallies. Um, folks are participating individually. Um, visiting historic sites, taking pictures, and really uh, pledging to, to teach the truth in the face of this white nationalist insanity with which we are grappling. Um, and folks know, of course, we here at All the Above have been, um, have been shouting from the mountaintops or the virtual mountaintops as, as much as we can um, for folks to teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Um, get, your, get your AOTA shirt um, that, uh, that screams that loud and proud as well. Um, and so today's episode is a, a special. We're going to dive in and this is going to be our all the above um, uh, gesture of solidarity with the hashtag teach truth actions taking place across the country today. All right. Well, you mentioned one of our vocab words was the tweens. And actually that episode that we recorded and is super dope and super ready to go. We decided to release that next week because of this weekend's historic actions as educators across the country, educators and allies across the country stand up to support, support the teaching of truth and the teaching of humanizing, liberating spaces and curriculums in our classrooms. So that episode will be dropping next week, that video episode with Lorena Herman. Super dope episode, by the way, um, digging into texture teaching and what that looks like and the importance of it. But in any case, this weekend right here, right now, special episode where we are standing in solidarity with educators and allies across the country. And we here at All of the Above are pledging to teach the truth and stand up to these right-wing attacks on the teaching of history on, on, and on the teaching of anti-racism and efforts to promote equity and justice, uh, those attacks will not deter us. So, Jeff, let's, let's talk about it. Where, where, what historical sites have you been to where you feel, you know what, this is some history that has been covered up, erased, and students deserve to learn the truth of what happened here? Yeah. Well, uh, as we started thinking about this uh, this episode, Manuel, my my first gut reaction was like America, like like all of us. <laughs> everyone who's been to America has been to a historical site where the truth has not been fully told to most people about um, that site. And whether we're talking about you know stolen land or you know slavery or exploitation of labor or environmental devastation. Um, really, it's, it's everywhere. Um, and uh, that answer is, is kind of a cop out and unhelpful to the, to the discussion today. But, uh, you know, just, just making the point. Um, but I will say what I, what I wanted to call out today is um, actually a site that I visited this summer. So earlier this summer, I went home. 
uh, on vacation, got a nice little stretch of time to spend spend time with family. And I went on a hike uh, one day with um, my mom and my sisters. And uh, folks who've, who've listened to the show uh, know I'm, I'm from uh, Minnesota, from uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, Twin Cities area. And um, there is a place there called Fort Snelling State Park. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful park. It is, um, it is in the, uh, the crux of where the Mississippi River and the Minnesota River come together. So there's, there's a lot of like river and then like little sort of inlets of lakes and, um, and wetlands around there. And actually, for a lot of folks who may have flown into uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, um, if you if you came in the way where you look out the window and you see a bunch of like wetlands and lakes, that's that's largely it. Like that's that's a like right before you land, you see all all the like trees and rivers and wetlands. That's the park right there. And um, so it's a beautiful place. And at, at the very kind of head of one of the trails uh, this summer, I noticed there was a there's a memorial, like kind of a. Uh, sort of statue uh, sculpture kind of thing set up and then like a placard with um, with a description about what actually took place um, at this site uh, in in Minnesota history and American history and uh, you know some additional context here is this park is a place where as a kid um, I would go when I used to go to um, day camp in the summer at the YMCA we would go down usually like once a week to this this park because there are little beaches and you know places to play and stuff, um, and we'd have a barbecue. You know, it was a lot of fun. But we went down there all the time. You know, every week for years and years as a kid, and um, I never had any context <laughs> at all. Uh, I knew this was a military fort at some point, hence the name, you know, Fort Snelling. And there's a national cemetery there um, that's, that's kind of on the other side of a freeway um, that is a, you know, a current active national cemetery. Um, and, uh, but I had no, no sense, Manuel, of what the real history of this place was until I stopped and looked at this art, this memorial, and read this placard and came to find out that, um, you know, Fort Snelling uh, at this site um, was, of course, a, a fort that was put there to bolster the U.S. military presence and efforts in that part of the country to conduct war against, um, genocide against, and displacement of um, the Dakota people. And um, at this particular site there, um, it was commemorating how in 1862, um, in the aftermath of um, one of the U.S.-Dakota uh, conflicts, um, there was uh, about 1,600 Dakota people, many of whom were women and children, um, who were imprisoned um, following this conflict and kept in this prison over the course of the winter, where uh, you can imagine winter in Minnesota in a military prison is not good for your health, right? And um, 130 of them died over the course of that winter in their captivity. The next spring, those who survived were put on steamboats and sent to uh, Crow Creek in South Dakota um, and were kept there for a few years, um, also, you know, imprisoned. 
And those who survived that were eventually sent to the Santee Reservation in the state of Nebraska. Um, and so this park that is a beautiful, you know, space of family recreation and that sort of thing today, um, you know, just has this history that I think is like a, in some ways, a perfect microcosm of what so many places are in America, right? Which is um, folks today use these places to do fun recreational things or build a house or whatever it might be. Um, but that is on you know, physically, literally on um, stolen land and on the, the, you know, the backs of um, people who were, were, uh, you know, just harmed in, you know, in the, in the greatest sense of that word, right? And um, as part of this just, you know, really genocidal um, aspect of American history that almost never gets talked about with any real substance or it's talked about as like something that was long ago and far away and it, you know it doesn't really relate to us today um, you know but uh, but this is this is very real history and actually not that long ago right and this you know this is stuff that was happening at the same time as we were fighting the Civil War right um, and uh, and so in the same way that they talk about slavery is forever ago you know like this this was, the other side of the sort of slavery coin of like, how do we turn America into a, you know, uh, just profit making machine? Uh, you know, we stole land and dispossessed people and we used free labor, um, you know, of African peoples on, on that land. And so um, anyways, this this stood out to me and and, um, you know, really, really just made me think about all the places we you know, the roads we drive down, the names we call cities and states across the country that are evidence points of this aspect of our of our history um, that that just rarely gets talked about. So um, it was a, it was a good reminder for me and offer me a chance to kind of pause and reflect um, in that moment while I was, you know, enjoying a walk with my family. Yeah. Absolutely. You mentioned, I mean, that phrase evidence points, man. Sometimes I feel like you could drop a pin almost anywhere on the map of the United States. You could pick a, a date almost anywhere across the calendar and it's some marker of some terror that came upon peoples of color, that came upon native peoples, that came upon black peoples because there's so much of it everywhere. And there you are just enjoying a park and not knowing the true bloody history of, of that site there, which is, we could say that for so many parts of, of the United States, um, which is really why it's so important to teach the truth so that folks know what happened in the past, uh, know a truthful version of what happened in the past so that we could begin to have conversations about reconciliation and, and how do we move forward? How do we, how, how do, we do right by, by those who have been harmed by all the systems that have been built around us? Um, for myself, for Teach Truth, the site that I thought of immediately when thinking about when thinking about this this action was uh, Campbell Hall at UCLA. Now, anybody that listens to our show knows that I am a proud UCLA Bruin. Went there for undergrad. Went there for my doctoral program as well. And Campbell Hall is a building on UCLA's campus. And when I first got to UCLA, you know, we do tours and stuff. Anybody that's been to, to campus and done a, like a formal tour, when you come across Campbell Hall, there's like a little a little visual there to, to commemorate a shootout that happened in 1969. And I had always heard about the shootout, but I never really knew the full details. And as I, as I read more and learned more and put the pieces together, it's just, it's such a, um, 
I had such an awakening around the challenges that um, that I faced growing up and that a lot of folks, too many folks, too many black folks, particularly in California, have faced growing up. And that's sort of the, the history of street gangs in California and the history of federal actions to stop and limit and dismantle efforts among black folks to to fight for justice. So the shooting in 1969, uh, Bunchy Carter, Bunchy Carter was one of the Black Panthers who was killed. The shootout was between the Black Panther Party and another group, uh, the US organization. And in the telling of the story originally, it kind of seemed like uh, just beef between two groups who had two different ideas about how to fight for freedom, fight for liberation. And as I learned more about Bunchy Carter, I realized like, yo, this this is a whole story here that if you connect the dots, it helps explain the the context of California in the 1990s that I grew up in, which was a context where it was a lot of street violence, a lot of street gang activity, even in my little neighborhood of Sacramento, uh, was nowhere near as much street gang activity as other parts of California, but there was definitely, definitely activity. And in growing up, there's never any real teaching about like, well, how did that all start or where'd that come from? And Munchie Carter was originally a member of the Slauson Street Gang, and he served some time in prison. And um, through his own personal journey, his own personal awakening, he ended up being the leader of the Southern California chapter of the Black Panther Party. And here was a man who was fighting for justice for black folks as a member of the Black Panther Party. Here's somebody who was fighting for um, neighborhoods in Southern California to be able to support their own children, to, you know, food, uh, breakfast programs, literacy programs, all these things. And of course, the FBI then held helmed by J. Edgar Hoover had a problem with that. The FBI, of course, had the COINTELPRO program, which if anybody is not familiar, well, probably folks have seen, folks who listen to our show maybe perhaps have seen um, the recent film Black Messiah. And um, in which case, obviously, the COINTEL program is is heavily profiled there. Basically, this is a covert action, a covert program meant to dismantle efforts for justice and, and held by uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who hoped to use various means to um, stop the progress of civil rights organizations running, ranging from SNCC to the Black Panther Party. And long story short, Bunchy Carter, the Black Panther Party, specifically the Southern California chapter of the Black Panther Party, and their interactions with this other group, the US organization, the FBI fueled beef between these two groups, fanned the flames, spread lies between the two groups to instigate violence, to have each group thinking that the other group is plotting against them. This all became clear as um, documents were declassified from the FBI's COINTELPRO program. Along, and then a shootout happened between these two groups that never needed to happen between the two groups. And the reason why I think this particular incident is transformative in my understanding of the struggles that a lot of us have had growing up in California is that when you trace the history of street gang violence, especially in Los Angeles, you see that it is colored by racial housing covenants that forced Black Americans to only be able to live in certain neighborhoods. And those neighborhoods, of course, were under-resourced. Uh, many of those neighborhoods, particularly around Watts, were overcrowded, not enough resources to support a family and to buy a home and live the American dream. And then on top of that, you have organizations like the Black Panther Party fighting for opportunities for folks in those marginalized neighborhoods to be able to take care of their own, to be able to raise their children healthily and be able to 
learn and, and educate their own. And you have those organizations being targeted by the federal government. And the 1969 shootout at Campbell Hall, after that, the Black Panther Party in Southern California faced tremendous challenges because Bunchy Carter was their leader. Bunchy Carter was a tremendous leader by all accounts. And without his leadership and with the pain and the trauma of, of that shootout happening and it looking like, you know, black folks killing black folks, black on black crime, like right wing folks like to like to cry. It, it became a real struggle for the young folks in Southern California. And a lot of those young folks growing up in the wake of the dismantling of these organizations Turn to turn to the folks on the street that that they saw around them, and you see a direct connection between the housing segregation, the attacks on groups fighting for justice, and then the added economic strife of companies, of factories leaving the United States and, and moving overseas, and there not being enough jobs for folks. All that ties directly into the growth of street gangs. And so many folks think of Los Angeles as like a gang hotspot, Bloods, Crips, this and that. I grew up on gangster rap music and, and it was all in my ears, my whole upbringing. And never did I know how all of this tied back to government actions and racist actions that set folks up for this type of uh, this type of existence. And I think in my teaching of United States history, in my teaching of hip hop history, because I also um, for many years have taught a hip hop studies course, when, when having students uncover this story, when engaging students with the actual documentation of COINTELPRO, um, reading actual racial housing covenants to see that like certain groups were not allowed to buy homes and to live in certain neighborhoods and tying all that together you just see students eyes open as they realize like the street gang activity that i've known so much about it's not it's not black folks just not knowing how to act it's purposeful purposeful marginalization of communities and um, establishing conditions by which poverty becomes an insurmountable obstacle for too many. And the solution to that is involvement in, in street activity. So yeah, I, in teaching that story and having students engage in this over time, uh, students have, I j you just see eyes opening and a lot of calls for justice. Like, how do we fix that? How do we correct that? Like what could have been if instead of dismantling the Southern California chapter of Black Panther Party, what if the LAPD and the FBI and the what if the city actually supported this group and help help them be leaders to help bring some about some justice for the areas of Los Angeles that have been so heavily marginalized like we could have a world where where the the crack epidemic of the 80s and the 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 rise in street crime in the 90s like where that didn't happen at all if justice was done in the first place. So, so that's my teach truth little bit. And I could go on and on because, um, you know, tying that to hip hop history. And then I've had students engage in, in, in the story of, of the South Bronx and hip hop history and similar patterns of, of white flight, of divestment and so-called benign neglect and the connections between all that and street crime and, and all that. Like, we could go on and on because the pieces of the puzzle are are not that hard to put together if you just allow students to learn this truth and if you allow students to dig in to the history, dig into the primary sources, dig into the voices from those who lived it, those who were there, and they could see that perhaps the community they're growing up in, perhaps the challenges they see around them 
aren't a reflection of their own people. Rather, they are the outcome of generations of marginalization and oppression that can be undone, can be undone through through radical transformation and radical action. So it's important to teach the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and not just like assume students are going to one day maybe come about this on my own. I should have been learning about Bunchy Carter when I was in when I was in high school. When I was in high school listening to gangster rap, somebody should have been able to like pull me aside and be like, well, you know, uh, you know, a lot of these gangs that are being profiled in this music, a lot of that came after the death of Bunchy Carter, after the murder of Bunchy Carter. And Bunchy Carter actually, and like that whole story would have been so impactful to me and my own understanding of the world I was growing up in. But instead, eh, I got lucky and went to UCLA and saw a little little uh, post in Campbell Hall. And then, you know, later on read more about it and asked some questions and realized like, yo, this is all, this is all connected. And these connections should not be uh, uh, difficult for folks, for folks to make or folks to access, man. We got to bring this into the classrooms post haste. So yeah, that's what I got, Jeff. That's what I got. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I really appreciate that um, that example on on every level because um, you know what what you really are making me think about, Manuel, is the ways in which um, I think we do such an injustice to our students if we are not teaching the truth. Because what not only are the are we harming them by not giving them this information that they deserve, right? Um, they deserve the truth, but also um, th- there's not just a void, right? When you, when you withhold the truth, what happens isn't just like an absence of some kind of understanding. What fills that void is the racist status quo message of yep. society, which like you said, is like, oh, well, these people must be dysfunctional because why else would they be like this? Maybe it's genetic because why else would they be like this? Yep. Right? That, you know, it gets filled with all the bad stuff that um, that we are taught is the reason why the world looks the way it does today, rather than, you know, the, the truthful uncovering of like, actually, you know, everything we're seeing around us has been created uh, in, in one form or another. And um, and the things often that seem the, the, the most dysfunctional are actually evidence for us to dig a little bit deeper about like why is, you know, in what world is this behavior of drive-by shootings and, you know, and whatever other dysfunction we, you know, we want to talk about, in what world is that rational, right? Because right. human beings are rational people, right? How deep has the, the oppression, the state-sanctioned violence from police, you know, the, um, the introduction of crack cocaine into the communities, the mass incarceration, the, you know, the, um, the asthma, the, the pollution, the housing instability. How deep is all that stuff that what we're seeing today, um, you know, is, is the rational response to those conditions, right? And um, so anyways, I, I appreciate your example. Also, Manuel, while you were, while you were talking you, you mentioned Campbell Hall, and I was like, I wonder who Campbell is. And then I was like, well, let me think about my own uh, story here. And I was like, I wonder who Snelling is, like I, from Fort <laughs> Snelling. I've never looked up who this dude was. And it's as bad as you would think, Manuel, of course. So uh, Fort Snelling is named after Colonel Josiah Snelling. And has there ever been a better colonial name than Colonel Josiah Snelling? I'm not sure. But um, there's a plaque 
right down the road from the plaque that I was naming that is put up in appreciation of Colonel Josiah Snelling, who lived from 1782 to 1828 and is noted on this plaque as soldier, pioneer, builder. Okay, let me read you one small piece of what it says about Colonel Josiah Snelling. As a soldier, he was a true leader of men, loyal to his country and his superiors. As a pioneer, he raised the flag of authority in a lawless wilderness. And as a builder, he erected more than stone walls, for he laid the foundations of civilization in the Northwest. Okay. Foundations of civilization, Jeff. I, I was not aware of that. There's there not was a no civilization thing. there. <laughs> There's not that. a single thing in that in that long run on sentence that uh, could be historically argued as a truthful explanation of who this clown was as a as a as a person, or at least it's a thoroughly incomplete and morally reprehensible description of him. That was erected in 1928. Okay. Um, so this park that I went to throughout my whole childhood, just calling it, you know, still today, we call it Fort Snelling, you know, State Park. Um, you know, it's just it's just another layer, right? Yeah. Of like how we have ingrained deeply, right? We talk, we love to talk about Confederate monuments in, you know, in Mississippi and Virginia and stuff, right? This guy wasn't a Confederate, but he was up to the same no good, <laughs> right? Um, in, in Minnesota. And uh, has a park to this day named after him. Has a national cemetery, military cemetery named after him. Um, a street, a major street uh, in my neighborhood growing up, Snelling Avenue, right? Like, Petition to change um, that to Garrett Avenue. Yeah, to something, you know, <laughs> like to anything, right? Uh, it is, yeah, man. It's just like when you scratch a little bit, it, it starts to unravel, right? Yeah. And so... I think that's so much of the importance of um, this, you know, this organizing effort and this movement around teach, hashtag teach truth. Yeah. So I just, you know, I had to go ahead and look up Campbell Hall and see who the hell Campbell Hall was named after because <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. And um, I came across a story in the Daily Bruin. Actually, I guess there was a petition uh, back in 2020 to rename Campbell Hall after Bunchy Carter and John Huggins. Mm. John Huggins was the other Black Panther who was killed in that in that shootout and Campbell Hall is currently named after Lily Bess Campbell, who was an English professor at UCLA from 1922 to 1950, an influential scholar on the subject of Shakespearean and English Renaissance literature. So I don't, I don't know okay. necessarily if that's if she's problematic at all, but I do know that uh, Bunchy Carter and John Huggins. Um, I would very much love to see Campbell Hall named after them because Campbell Hall. Campbell Hall, for those who are not familiar, well, it's the headquarters of several organizations that advance the the support and cause for um, various ethnic groups at UCLA. And um, it's where AAP was when I was in undergrad academic advancement program, which was originally founded by Bunchy Carter and John Huggins, um, or their original members of the original iteration of it. So I would love to see that that building renamed after them more so than a professor in Shakespearean dopeness or whatever because you know we have other buildings for english stuff yeah yeah that's uh i it's i will say better better after lily campbell than uh colonel josiah snelling who that is true <laughs> no 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 argument there yeah yeah but still I'll, I'll go to um you know carter uh hall carter huggins hall <laughs> yeah yeah well folks 
that that's our our uh, small contribution this week uh, via podcast for this weekend's actions in teaching the truth in solidarity with educators and allies, of course, across the country. And we are, of course, pledging to teach the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. These histories are important. These histories are valuable. We cannot make a better tomorrow without better understanding yesterday. And it's important that we truthfully help students engage with honest history, honest, honest discussions around the crimes of the past and um, how we got here today. It's important not to cover that up, not to hide that. Students deserve to know how we got to where we are today. And that's that's like, that should be a minor ask, right? Shouldn't that, Jeff, shouldn't that be like a minor ask? Like our teachers should teach the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. They shouldn't cover up stuff or, or you know, erase stuff. Like, shouldn't they just be truthful, Jeff? Like, what the, why do we have to even fight for this, man? I mean, uh. it, it, it should be. <laughs> it should be. It's. It almost seems ridiculous to have to talk about, but we are in the age, Manuel, of of like organizing efforts that have to be called things like Black Lives Matter. Like not, you know, not Man. matter a whole lot. Just have some value, <laughs> right? Um, and you know, teachers should teach the truth and not teach lies. Like bold, profound statement. Yeah, we. That's that's where we are. We're starting from the beginning here. Yeah, yeah. So shout out to the Zen Education Project for organizing this hashtag Teach Truth days day of action or weekend of action, I should say. And everybody, if you're if you want to know more, just jump on I guess probably any social media platform and search the uh, search for the hashtag Teach Truth and see what educators across across the country are are doing and, and what stories they are uncovering as they organize around their own local historic sites. So yeah, check that out, folks. Check that out. And I know, I know last week, I believe we promised that this will be a full episode this week with a super dope guest. We have that. It's already recorded. It's already edited. It's already all done. Super dope guest, Lorena Herman. Uh, fantastic. But we just decided to push that back just one week so that we could really stand in solidarity with uh, the Teach Truth events of this weekend. So next weekend, you will get that full episode, video, and podcast, whatever you prefer, um, where we sit down with Lorena Herman and learn more about texture teaching and how to um, stand up for and make um, make real the classroom experiences that are culturally sustaining for all of our students. So definitely you don't want to miss that. So we'll see you next week with that. Of course, go to our website, aotashow.com for all the past episodes, all the dopeness. If you If you appreciated this episode, but didn't watch or hear the episode with uh, Jesse Hagopian, like go back to that because he's obviously a, a big, I shouldn't say obviously, because if you missed the episode, you wouldn't know this, but he is a big figure in this uh, movement to to teach the truth. So definitely go back and check out the interview with him and hear more about the, the challenges that we are facing as educators as these um, racist bills are passing um, in state after state after state that are trying to outlaw the teaching of, of the truth. So I believe that was episode 77, something like that. It'll show up. Just look, just scroll back in the podcast feed or, or hit our YouTube, youtube.com slash all of the above, and you'll see it right there. All right, folks, we love y'all. We will see you next week. If you just started school, shout out to you. I hope everything's going great. If you are about to start school, shout out to you. I hope um, the, the calamities that we are facing nationally, internationally, I hope you are able to um, 
to, to dig past that and connect with students in a, in a humanizing, valuable way and have a great school year. All right, folks, we'll see you next time. Now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class. <laughs> <laughs>